Now there's a brand new web page, especially for this podcast. The Politocrat Daily Podcast can now be found on thepolitocrat.com. A brand new page that centralizes all of the places that you can listen to this podcast. The major platforms and many others at thepolitocrat.com. Lots of content that you can see there right now and every single day. So subscribe now to the Politocrat Daily Podcast and make sure you visit thepolitocrat.com. Thank you. Welcome to the Politocrat. I am Omar Moore. It is Saturday, January the 2nd. 2021. On this edition of The Politocrat, grief, privacy, social media, and mental health. A discussion, an exploration, if you will, of where all of those topics intersect it's a conversation that may not be an easy one but I do believe that it is one that is worth having especially now and that conversation begins right after this Welcome back. I don't wish to be a villain here. I really do not wish for that. I do want to preface what I am going to explore in this episode, the second of this brand new year, by saying that I haven't lost anybody recently. And some of you listening may have lost somebody recently. Or maybe not so recently. Someone really close to you. I know that people have. My fervent belief is in having conversations and leaving some food for thought. And the sincerity which I try to undertake that is deep and abiding. The sensitivity towards the subject matter is also as such. I only hope that what I say here in this episode is received in a way that takes that into account. I say all of that because I know that sometimes that's not the way things go. But I do think, again, the conversation needs to at least be had. 
especially now. I think all of us around the world, a great many of us, are in a state of trauma, I would say. And I think that the subject that best encompasses this is mental health. And last year, I had said that, oh, I'll make sure I get a guest to speak about this. Um, I am closer and closer to finally doing that. Um, I wanted to have it happen in 2020. But I would say that there is never a time too late to talk about mental health. And that is something that we're going to be dealing with regarding this coronavirus pandemic for many, many years to come. And I think that this is going to be something that we're all going to need help with. And I've talked about this before. I definitely am going to because, um, and I think I'm fine. You know, I do think that I'm okay, but I think the people who think they are okay are the, are the very ones who also need to look into mental health and, and actually getting some kind of conversation going with a mental health professional. I, I, I think that that's essential. I don't, I don't care who you are. I really don't care what your background is. I think we all need this. I think we all do. We all need to speak to a mental health professional. That's not weakness. That's not anything but strength to me. And I think that that's something that we need to start verbalizing out loud. Especially in America. Because in American society, we do not talk about mental health. And if we do, it is to lampoon people, mostly. Or otherwise, we just do not talk about it at all. Now, yeah, I might be getting into this in a very black and white, non-nuanced way. But in some other countries, there is much more of a substantive discussion about mental health and a serious one. Again, I want to set the parameters of this particular discussion, this exploration that I'm going to go into here. Because I do think it's helpful to put these particular pieces as important satellites that I think eventually connect So mental health to me is a really big factor here in the conversation. What I really want to get to, dear listener, is grief. People grieve in different ways. It depends on the circumstances, who you are. It depends on how you were raised. It depends on the kind of individual you are, whether you are someone who's in touch with your feelings, whether you repress them, whether you are in a household or were in a household um, or brought up in a household where you were taught not to show emotion, 
whether you were brought up in a household where you were taught that it's a healthy thing to do, whether you were brought up in an abusive household or in a household where everything appeared to be fine. You know, there's so many different dimensions. Whether you adhere to the belief that as a man, if you're a man listening to this, that you're not supposed to cry. And this also applies to any woman or any person, period, you know. Whether you are non-gender conforming, whether you are transgender, whether you are someone who would say that you're, you know, would call yourself queer, whether you would call yourself gay, you know, if you identify as someone who is gay or identify as someone who is straight or identify as whatever it might be. I mean, do do all of those particular entities factor in? I would say they do. I would say they do, especially if you are someone who's been shunned by their family because the family is a family that expresses hatred toward others in the family who are gay or are non-gender conforming or transgender. And so the family somehow now is hateful. And that's how they react to someone being who they are by casting out that person. It happens all over the world, by the way. This is not just an American phenomenon. How do you grieve? God, I know that's a really personal question. I mean, I am not necessarily expecting an answer. It's probably, I'd say, more rhetorical. I ask the question in that manner because, and this is where I want to put social media on the table. One of the things that I have noticed a lot over the last Year And it's understandable, I think, particularly with the coronavirus. We are living through it now, struggling through it now, here in the very earliest days of 2021. And what I observe and what I have seen on social media and what I've seen, especially during the course of the last calendar year and into this new year, is that more and more people are openly expressing that they lost a loved one. And that person is, in all of the instances that I have observed, somebody very close to them, father, mother, sister, spouse, brother, grandmother, grandfather, child, etc., etc. And usually that news is broken on social media. And I wonder if people listening have an issue with that. I mean, 
Obviously, there is no issue with somebody expressing loss. I think it's healthy to do that. I think it's healthy to express that you are feeling pain. Especially in an American society that, once again, um, by pattern and practice, much less based upon your own family background and experience, says to us that we really should not express pain or grief, at least not in any kind of public way, even though our whole history in the United States, particularly when it comes to politics and politicians and people in that nature, we are constantly shown images of people grieving publicly. Whether it is someone in politics, whether it is someone famous in another discipline, be it in entertainment, in in sports or any other way. And we're constantly jamming microphones in people's faces after some heavily traumatic event. We see it even with the members of the general public when a newscaster or reporter comes up to them literally minutes or seconds after some really traumatic event and they shove a microphone in that person's face and tell them, hey, look, um, how do you feel? What do you do? You know, and this is after someone's lost their house. We saw this last, I certainly saw this last year and I'm sure you did when the wildfires in various states, particularly in the Western states of the United States, where people had lost their entire home or lost even worse, lost a loved one in their home. And there's some reporter coming to the group of homes that have been completely leveled by fire and he or she or they stick a microphone in the face of someone, some poor soul who has just lost everything. Whether it's their husband, whether it's their wife, whether it's their you know spouse, partner, whomever, they've lost them. And you've got some person with a camera and someone with a microphone and they just stick the microphone in their face, the camera's on. You would hope that they got permission to do that. Maybe they did, I would assume they did. And some perhaps caught someone on the fly and had the camera on and Whatever it might have been. But the point is, is that there's no window for space. There's no window for reflection, for a private moment. And that's where the privacy part begins to come in to this exploration that I'm doing. It's all very intrusive, is it not? In that particular scenario, that particular situation. So there is no real privacy there when someone who has just lost someone very close to them in their family, lost their partner, their spouse, all of a sudden lost their home and all of the sentimental value that it has and the artifacts that are born out of that, that derive that value. And then have some journalists come up and shove a microphone in your face and a camera on you and ask you to express how you're feeling and 
That's something that is troubling to me. Because on the one hand, I think it's important to express your feelings. I think it's very healthy to, because if you don't, and certainly I think a lot of men have a, have a real issue with this, of expressing feelings. Versus expressing violence and rage. You know, those latter two things are easier for many men to express than is any earnest and sincere expression of feelings, of sadness, of disappointment, of grief. Now, there's something very intrusive about the microphone thing. It's crude, and and I would say for the purposes of the news media, it's... It's an exploitation. Now, some people might say, well, it makes for great television or great TV. But I wouldn't. I think it makes for demeaning television. And I think that in many of these cases, it's really exploitive, as I said. I think the same thing can be applied to people who have just lost one of their loved ones because a police officer has executed them. And then the camera's put on them. Then we see the video of a black person being murdered over and over and over again. We see the loop of that and that does untold damage. And, you know, this is something that I've talked about on this podcast before last year the anti-racist educator Jane Elliott also talked about this with me. In fact, um, a clip of the conversation was in the episode from December the 31st, a couple of days ago now. And there's this kind of really toxic, dangerous, traumatic, you know, this PTSD of showing this video over and over and over and over and over. And then, you know, you've got this family, this poor family that's lost someone. And we've seen it over and over again, and it continues to happen. So, I mean, when it comes to social media, do you think it's any different? Do you think that people who express their own grief and use social media to do so Do you think that that is something that is different from those other situations that I've just outlined? Now, I think one of the most ready responses to my line of inquiry is, well, yes, because the person on social media is controlling the forum, if you will. They're using social media to put forth the very sad, tragic, horrifying, heartbreaking circumstances in their lives that they've lost somebody close to them and they want to share that with the world. And perhaps there is an impairment to that versus having some media person shove a microphone and a camera in someone's face or having someone in the corporate news media 
play on a loop a video or having that on social media over and over and over again. But what about the privacy aspect? And what about the mental health aspect that goes with that kind of announcement? Have you been on Twitter and come across a tweet that really breaks your heart? Somebody says that they have lost someone. And it's really heartbreaking and heart-wrenching. I think the only thing that you can do is to offer your deepest condolences and to offer some semblance of comfort to express your own sorrow for the person's heartbreaking situation where they've lost somebody whether it's to coronavirus or anything else I do want to pose this question are there people listening to me right now whom in the back of their minds when they see a tweet or some post on Facebook or some kind of Instagram message where someone's putting out that they've lost someone very close to them in their lives, they've passed away due to this, that or the other. Is there something in the minds of some of you that says this is too much information? That says Why am I being told this? Is there anywhere in you at all where you're saying, wow, you know, I don't mean to feel this way, but I don't know that I want to see these kinds of posts on social media. One's expressing that someone has died, someone has Or is that line of inquiry dangerous in a way? Is what I've just said a touchstone for something that suggests something more disturbing? Is that something that lends itself to, well, you're censoring somebody's right to express themselves? I mean, I I am not personally taking that position. I am simply putting forth an argument that someone might make. I mean, I put up a poll on Twitter, at the popcorn, R-E-E-L, and put that up yesterday, January 1st, 2021, and posed that question about what the reaction is for you when your immediate reaction when you see on social media somewhere someone saying that they've lost a loved one. What What is your immediate reaction? I had four choices. One of them was, as I've described, um, feeling heartbroken and, and just very sad. The other One of the other choices was, this is too much information. 
A third choice was, I really do want to offer some kind of comfort, which is something that I personally expressed a few minutes ago here. And the last one is, why do I need to know this? Which I've also discussed here. It's not how I feel, but, but that's how some people might feel. And I think the reason I bring that up is, again, to go back to privacy and social media and what social media has done. And mental health as well. Because when someone reaches out and says, I'm in pain, I'm hurting, and they're using social media to do that, I think, number one, they're looking for a support system that they may not have in their family or their immediate household. They may be isolated. They may not have the network of people around them that they can go to. They could be estranged. They could be whatever the case might be. Or maybe there is nothing of the sort happening. And so even though there is a support network, people may still feel the need to go on social media and announce this. And I want to know what you think about that. I honestly do. I honestly would love to know what you think about people doing that. Now, you may yourself have done something like this. And I am not criticizing, judging, or anything else. I'm only expressing variables. I know people who have said to me personally in offline discussions that they find this kind of thing to be upsetting, meaning this kind of thing, meaning announcing that you've lost someone on social media. Not only did they say that to me, but they also said to me that this is not necessary. I know that sounds awfully cold, perhaps to some, maybe to everybody listening. But what I'm driving at is the fact that we don't have any privacy. What I'm driving at, I think, is that part of the grief process for that person is to just express, express, express the feeling, the sorrow, the hurt, the pain, that deep hole. And they just want to share that with the world. A very cold and unforgiving world, especially last year, even though there are many millions of people who express such profound reservoirs of support and emotional connection. There's so many people in the world who do care. And I've had these conversations, you know, these kinds of conversations and some people have said, you know, this is too much. And some of these people are people who themselves have lost very close family members who have said that they would not go on social media and express 
anything like this. Where would we be without social media in that respect? I mean, social media has its pluses and its minuses. And quite frankly, I I can tell you, um, I would not. On a personal note, I would not if it if these things happened to me, if I suffered a loss um, on the order of this. And like I said, I have not lost anyone in some time or, you know, I've not. Um, but had I, 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 I personally would not put it on social media. That's just me. I'm just being very, um, open and plain about that with you. I wouldn't, um, because that's just not for me, um, a way I would do that. I, I don't necessarily want to publicize that. And that doesn't mean that I don't respect, love, and care about that person that I've lost. I just don't think that social media, for me personally, is the appropriate, quote-unquote, quotes around that word appropriate, way to do that. Everyone's different. And I guess I have made a value judgment because I've said that I don't think it's appropriate for me. But if that is appropriate for you or for someone else, then that is certainly something that you would be obviously understood to be free to do. I mean, what if tomorrow Facebook or Twitter or Instagram said you can't express grief on our platforms? Oh, Just think about that. Isn't that horrible? I mean, having said what I just said, just prior to the question I posed. I mean, that's awful, right? If if tomorrow Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whichever platform, you name them, there's a million of them now said that their policy now is you cannot express that you lost someone on this platform. Because if you express that, we're going to suspend you. We're not only going to suspend, we're going to delete your account. Now that's something out of what? Orwell or Aldous Huxley? Brave New World. That's something out of George Lucas THX 1138. I mean... Watch that movie from George Lucas in the early 1970s, I think it was, or late 1960s, I forget which. I think it might have been the late 1960s. Uh, I don't know. No, may it's, no, I think it's 1971. No emotion, no feeling. Could you imagine if that happened? It's so interesting I pose that question because, of course, you know, they, some of these media platforms, social media platforms, do not, or all of them don't, have the protections that people, I think, would be much more comfortable abiding by and using. Edit buttons and all that kind of thing, which would be very, very useful. But what if social media, I mean, what if social media companies said, you cannot express on here 
that you've lost your parent. You cannot express on here that you lost your sister. I mean, that sounds horrible. That is horrible. Would they be within their rights to do that? From a legal standpoint, from an ethical standpoint, from a moralistic standpoint? Would those social media companies be within their right to do that? Sit with that for a moment while I take this break. Look, thousands of Americans are dying a day. Our lives have been turned upside down and they're doing nothing in Washington. David Perdue had his chance, but he was too busy looking after his stock portfolio. And now he's blocking relief for the rest of us. We can defeat this virus by listening to doctors and scientists. We can pass direct economic relief. We can get our daily lives back, but only if we vote. I'm John Ossoff, and I approve this message. It's a brand new season of the Politocrat Daily Podcast. For conversation, information, and revelation, join me, Omar Moore, every day for a brand new edition of the Politocrat Daily Podcast. Politics, news, issues you care about, guests, and commentary, all on the Politocrat Daily Podcast. So please join me for every new episode. Subscribe now. And thank you very much for your support. The sheer audacity of a social media company telling you or anyone that you cannot express that you lost somebody on our platforms. You can't do it because if you do, we're going to shut you down. That's not what we want in a society, do we? It's bad enough that you don't tell men to express their feelings. It's bad enough that the patriarchy and the patriarchal society that we are swimming or drowning or staying afloat in or whatever you want to call it is telling men, no, you can't, you're, you're weak if you cry. You are, you're a man. And so therefore a man has to be in check and not cry because that means he's something less than a man if he does. And then the next day he jumps off the uh, Grand Canyon or something. It's just awful, isn't it? That's the mental health aspect. And that's the way a patriarchal society, one that traffics in and is the architect of toxic masculinity. That's how that society responds 
right? Isn't that really what this is about? Now, if somebody says to you, oh, I can't deal with this. Why is it that people have to go on social media and tell everybody that they've lost someone? Is that a reflection of their insensitivity or is it an honestly held expression of, hey, look, you know, this, I can't handle that. Is it because that person finds the expression of that kind of loss on social media to be uncomfortable? Or is it just that that person's uncomfortable with the aspect of death or of grief? And maybe that person was taught not to talk about those kinds of things that happened where a loved one was lost. There are people like that. There are people who've grown up in families like that. This takes all kinds of dimensions, this conversation, in terms of the subject matters. I do believe that social media has profoundly changed our behavior in terms of what we say and do. I mean, if we didn't have social media, I doubt very much that we would I don't know, but I'm going to express this fairly, in fact, very confidently. I doubt that we would go around telling people half the things that we do tell them on social media, including, quite frankly, that you have lost a loved one. I think that is something that is true. I don't know. I would love to know what you think about that. You know, I really would. I may actually, on the brand new page, podcast page, thepolitocrat.com, which I recommend, please go to, take a look, content there, all the platforms that you can listen to this podcast on. Pandora, Spotify, Apple, Google, Audible, etc., etc., etc. And there's written content from the blog. And, you know, I may put a link for email because I really would like to know. Uh, By the way, you can also contact contact me through Facebook, (laughs) speaking of which, right? Facebook. And on the page, on the politocrat.com, it's thepolitocrat.com. You can scroll down the page and you will see somewhere in the middle of the page, a Facebook icon. Click on that and you can send me a message if you choose. And talk, you know, a private message or whatever and express to me what... What your feelings are about this. I'm not going to share this with anybody. I I honestly do want to know. And there is every chance that I will respond in in, in kind and have a conversation with you. And and listen to you. You know, I, I mean, this subject matter is something that I think needs to be talked about. Social media has changed the way we behave. 
And I also think it's a product of wanting to reach out to people. But which came first? I, I think the wanting to reach out predominates, but I think that at the same time, social media offers this opportunity for people to do so. And to do so very easily. And I think there is something to be said about boundaries. I think there's something to be said about And when I say boundaries, I'm talking about putting every last detail of your personal life online. There is a difference in my view between someone announcing a very uh, bit of painful news, a passing of somebody, and somebody going into some real detail about some subject matter that perhaps would not be discussed in a public group of people, if that were the case. Unless, of course, um, there was a forum that encouraged that in person. Now, of course, right now, you wouldn't have this with the coronavirus pandemic. You might have it on Zoom. But in a way, Zoom is part of social media as well. I mean, in a way. Not quite the same as Twitter, but the point is it's a conferencing tool. So that means that it is public. In its very and by its very definition. I do think that what I am offering here is a multitude of different ways to look at all of this, but they are all interconnected. At least I think so. They, they are all in connect, interconnected. Social media, grief, and how we discuss grief to begin with in America or anywhere else for that matter, mental health. And privacy, I think all four of those things are wrapped up together. And I'm not so sure that they are necessarily disaggregated. I don't know that you can separate those things. Partly, the reason why you can't is because social media, in and of itself, eradicates any notion of privacy. I mean, for example, in this 21st century, there is no privacy. There really isn't. You barely have privacy in your own home. I mean, seriously. You barely have that. I mean, there was a 1966 Supreme Court case named Griswold versus Connecticut. The U.S. Supreme Court actually heard a case about that. And it was about whether or not couples had the right to have contraception in their homes, in their bedrooms, so that when they were engaging in sex, when they were having sex, you know, that was the issue, whether they were free to use contraception. And the Supreme Court ruled that, yeah, the right to privacy is enjoyed by couples, people who wish to have sex for anything other than procreation. Procreation was not the only reason, is not the only reason people have sex. Now, some different faiths, some religions, 
may beg to differ with me on that issue. But the U.S. Supreme Court in 19, I believe it was 1966 or 67, in Griswold v. Connecticut, actually said that a, a right to privacy is enjoyed by these couples, by married couples in their own homes, in their own bedrooms, couples. In this case, a married couple, but, in, you know, people have a right to have contraception and have sex and have contraception. And it doesn't have to be you're having sex to have a child. You know, procreation is not the only reason people have sex. That's been true forever, though. It's not some revelation in 2021. I mean, that's, we all know that. But the issue that I am talking about there is not so much about the sex as it is about the privacy and about the potential intrusions into privacy that you actually had to have a case come to the Supreme Court back in the mid-1960s of all eras, you know? I mean, this was definitely a pushback against the... So-called swinging 60s, where people were having sex out in public. People were walking around naked all over the place. People were having threesomes in open space. I mean, this, this whole thing about this Griswold v. Connecticut, Connecticut case is an absolute pushback against the hippie generation, the flower child, the love, you know, the flower power generation, the, you know, the free love generation, free love, people having sex right there, no protection, nothing. Or as some people call that now, what, raw dog without a bag? I mean, that's a really crude way of putting it, but colloquially in some circles, that's how it's described. But that's what happened in the 1960s. And I dare say that there are many generations and decades before that where that was happening too. Right? I mean, where people are obviously having sex without protection. I mean, this, this is, I mean, this, I don't want to get too far away from the the point here. But what I'm trying to say is that there was no privacy there either. You know, people in a field, people, and look, everybody looks at sex differently. But what I'm saying is, is that Griswold was a direct pushback, certainly from the, I would say, the conservatives and the, you know, the Republicans, a pushback against the free love generation and against, um, you know, people having sex and in many instances not using protection, which meant that women were getting pregnant and left with the consequences of men ejaculating inside them with no protection on them. And that goes into, the again, a whole nother 
um, realm that I don't want to veer off to, but I'm just illustrating that. Now, that's a form of privacy that Griswold was aiming at, I think, in terms of married couples in their own homes in 1966 or 67 or 68 or, you know, in, in that era. There's no, there's no accident that that case came up in the 60s. This was during Nixon. Or at least it was about to be Nixon. I mean, 66 LBJ was still in power. I get it, but... You had this anti-war movement and blah, blah, blah. I can go on and on. But I want to just transition back, if I can, to the this whole thing that's going on. What what do you think about all of this? What do you think about this? The way that social media has obliterated privacy, that we don't have privacy anymore. And it's not just social media. Technology has. Technology has automated us. Technology has absolutely automated us like robots. We don't even press a button anymore. You know, we went from writing with a fountain pen or an ink tip pen or a quill or whatever it might have been in the day of yore to now telling Alexa to turn something on or off, telling Siri, I'm freaking lost and I don't know where I am. Can you direct me to the nearest whatever? I mean, that's what we've got to now. There's no human effort. And I wonder how that ties in. And given the tools of a Twitter or a Facebook or an Instagram or whatever else, TikTok, I mean, we're behaving differently. I mean, would we be sending letters in 1960 to all of our friends? Would would we be sitting down writing handwriting in cursive, you know, letters and mailing them off to friends of ours, to relatives, to tell them that we've lost somebody? Would we be making phone calls to each of those individuals? In the absence of social media, would we do that? Would you do that? But we've got social media. We've got this instantaneous instrument that sometimes is a, a, a tremendous source of good, but is often also a really bad, dangerous thing. For abuse for threats of violence and actual violence, for doxing people and all kinds of things. I mean, this is, I don't know. And I wonder, by the way, if people who do openly and to their credit, courageously express to the world that they've lost someone, how difficult that must be for them to actually express that, much less experience the pain of it. 
I wonder if any of those individuals who do that actually get nasty responses from people. I I wonder. I, I don't usually read through comments to tweets where somebody has said that they've lost someone. Do you typically read through the comments of all of that? Or do you read the first couple and then say, okay, I'm going to go on to something else? Or what do you do? Do you read and scroll through and in, in the search of hoping that, no, that's a little bit too much, hoping that you'll find some, not that you're hoping, but that you might find some depraved character that is a bot or a troll or something saying to you or saying to the person something nasty in response to, well, I've just lost somebody. Isn't it that social media breeds that or is it just these nasty people who do? Or is it a bit of both? The mental health part of this is really important. It really is. And I don't know that social media is really conducive to good mental health to begin with. And I'm the one, as many I'm sure of you are too, who is on social media. That's why it's important to take timeouts from social media. It really is. More and more. I mean, I think that this year, that's one thing that I'm going to do more of. And besides, you know, you know, when you've got other things you're doing and you're busy with, of course you have to. But even if you're not, I mean, that's not fair to make that kind of comment because then it implies that people who spend all day or at least time on social media don't have other things to do. I'm sure they do. Of course we do. We all do, you know. I mean, I, I don't think that that's... Although some people would say, no, I didn't. Some people will say that they don't. But again, with a pandemic that has laid off so many people, you know, that's, you know, that may well be the case for many. Or you could be retired. Or you could be on disability. You know, there's, or you could be someone who is in a difficult spot, difficult situation. But I do think it is worth, again, I do think it is worth thinking about these things. Because mental health is a real factor here. Support networks, mental health, how we express grief, and how we use social media to do that if we should or shouldn't. I mean... Do you have a problem with that? Again, I want to go back to that question. Do you have some discomfort around that aspect? I mean, obviously, the first and foremost thing is, my gosh, this person's lost somebody and it hurts, and I'm so sorry. That's where my default position always will be. But as I said, I know people who, some of whom have said, I mean, this is, this is too much and I don't know that this is necessary to tell everybody like this. And I can understand why someone would feel that way. I can. It's a very sensitive subject. Everybody grieves differently. Is somebody wrong to tweet to the world that they've lost someone? I don't, I don't think they are. I don't think that's the case. 
Will everybody do that? I don't think everybody will. Will some people do that? Meaning tell everybody on their social media network that they've lost somebody? People handle these things differently. It's very common because you hear it. People who've lost people, celebrities who've been lost, we've found out about it. Chadwick Boseman last year, um, somebody in his family or somebody in his agents, you know, an agent of his or whomever um, announced it on social media. I believe it was on Instagram, but he passed away. That's how I actually found out about it. I think, is that different, by the way, if an agency or representative of the family or um, rather somebody's somebody famous passes and their estate mentions it? Or is, is that different than if someone, an everyday person does do the same thing, you know, puts mentions that they've lost someone or does that not make a difference? More questions than answers on this episode. And I'm going to circle back to some of this in the coming days and weeks because I am definitely going to have, I know I said this last year, I'm definitely going to have a mental health professional on. And this is something I'm going to circle back to when that particular person, um, when, when the health professional comes on. Because I just think that this is something that um, is well worth the the discussion. Let me know what you think. You can tweet me. You can get in contact through Facebook. And you can do that by going to thepolitocrat.com. Thepolitocrat.com. The P-O-L-I-T-I. C-R-A-T dot com. Scroll down the page and you will see a Facebook icon. Click on that icon and you can send a private message. And I'd like to, to have a conversation with you to the extent that you're comfortable engaging in that. No judgments. I'm not going to sit there and judge. And I really do want to know. Sincerely, I want to know. Um, how you feel about this. I always want to know these things. Because I just think it's important. We we have to connect and discuss and talk and, and really express where we are on these kinds of things. And of course, if people don't want to, then they don't have to. They don't have to talk about it. It's not someone that's forcing a conversation. It's an open invitation to one. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.